0: As I looked, the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. So what's with the gray hair? Does this mean God is like a feeble old man in a rocking chair? On the contrary, his white clothing and white hair reveal that he is absolutely pure and holy. Think of God as possessing all of the wisdom, power, and authority that come with old age while maintaining the vitality and energy of youth. This picture of the Ancient of Days from Daniel's prophecies reminds us that God is perfectly in control, even while the Antichrist, the little horn, prances around this earth like he owns it. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
1: Centuries before the Roman Empire rose to prominence, God had already prophesied its eventual fall, but the day is coming when it will rise again. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, the pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. Today, Ron takes us to Daniel chapter seven and one of the most fascinating prophecies in the Bible. It concerns the rise of a revived Roman Empire and the man who will ultimately lead it, the Antichrist. Online, visit the newly designed somethinggoodradio.org where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. Plus, stream and search content found in a digital library with years of Ron's Bible teaching available on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Mysteries of Babylon, Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, What God Knows About Future World History.
0: Uh, God must also keep a record of every word we speak. Why do I think that? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 that we will one day have to give an account for every careless word we speak. The books are opened and judgment falls upon the little horn and all these beasts. Look at him, in verse 11. Daniel says, I looked then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Who who brings that judgment upon uh, the beasts of this vision? Well, now we get a vision of the Son of Man. Look at in verse 13. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdoms, one that shall not be destroyed. This is none other than Messiah. This is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, The title, Son of Man, is a messianic title that Jesus took to himself numerous times in the Gospels, but that finds its roots right here in Daniel chapter 7. Hold your place here in Daniel 7 and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to show you a couple of places where Jesus, in no uncertain terms, claimed to be the Messiah and claimed to be the Son of Man who is uh, envisioned here in Daniel chapter seven. Matthew chapter 24 and um, verse 30. Matthew 24 and 25 is known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus gave this teaching to a handful of his disciples, so let's say Monday, maybe Tuesday of Holy Week, as they gathered on the Mount of Olives and they asked him, teacher, can you tell us about the end of the age? Do you wanna know what Jesus says about the future? Read Matthew 24 and 25. And in verses 29 through 31, there is a detailed description of the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Verse 30 says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, Jesus says. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Every Jew who knew the Old Testament well and who knew the Old Testament book of Daniel well knew this was a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Now go with me to Matthew 26 and verse 65. Now Jesus is uh, standing before Caiaphas, and the trial is beginning. He's speaking to the high priest. Verse 63, but Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, and here comes another allusion to Daniel, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And if you don't think, that this was a claim to deity and a claim to be the promised Messiah, even the Son of Man that was mentioned in Daniel chapter 7? If you doubt that, well, just read on. Then the high priest tore his robes and says, he has uttered blasphemy. Of course, Caiaphas knew the prophecy of Daniel 7. And the title, the messianic title, which is the Son of Man, which Jesus took to himself. Now back to Daniel chapter 7. Beginning in verse 15, Daniel asks for an interpretation of all this. So you have this this vision and this scene, which is chaotic, it's ferocious, it's frightening. What is going on here? The scene shifts to heaven because we need a glimpse and a vision of the ancient of days and the Son of Man to keep all of this in perspective. And now Daniel says, verse 15, as for me, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. (laughs) Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this, and he told me and made known to me the interpretation of things. Verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Somebody shout amen. Because these, these four kingdoms, ferocious, vicious as they are, they don't win in the end. The saints of the Most High win. Verse 19, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left in its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came from came up and before which three of them fell. The horn had the eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, at this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom." What's different in Daniel 7 as compared to Daniel 2 is now the detail we get about that little horn. Uh, Some of the most detailed description in the Old Testament about this future uh, world-dominating leader known as uh, the Antichrist. And let's read on. It says, verse 23, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. Now let's stop right there. This is a description perhaps of uh, the initial... Roman Empire you know, there in verse 23, um, and we can, we can see the mighty Roman Empire there. But in verse 24, again, scholars suggest we, we haven't seen anything like the ten horns that arise up, these ten kings, and one that rises up in the middle. This, this is still future. This, this is still now to the end of the age. Uh, we can go into the book of Revelation and other places. And 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 piece this together into what we know as the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period of time where it begins with the Antichrist, the little horn, who um, arises and takes power. Uh, just prior to that, it appears that the Roman Empire, in a federation of, of ten nations and ten kings, um, reforms. Just prior to the Antichrist stepping on the scene. And when he steps on the scene, he he devours three of the kings and and seizes power. And this is described there. Now, a further description begins in verse 25. He, that is this little horn, shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half-time. Let me very quickly give you six characteristics of this fourth beast, the little horn, known as the Antichrist. First and foremost, and most obviously, he's a beast. He is a beast. It says, he shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. We know from a study of Revelation that for for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, he appears to be a friend of Israel. Brokers peace in the Middle East, steps on the world stage and says, I I can solve the problems here. And he is elevated to to power, this personification of the devil known as the Antichrist. He is a beast who, secondly, is boastful. It says he has a mouth speaking great things. I take this to mean he is a charismatic leader, Uh, he is energetic. Again, he has the ability to solve world problems and inspire followership on a world stage. He speaks great things, boastful things about what he can do, but he also speaks blasphemous things. It says he speaks words against the Most High. We know from a study of the book of Revelation that at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period, He goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Probably in the the negotiated peace in the Middle East, he makes a way for the Jewish people to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. But at the midway point, he goes into the temple, desecrates it. Uh, It's called the abomination of desolation, which we'll we'll see in Daniel chapter 9, and sets himself up to be worshiped speaking against the Most High, blasphemous words.
1: Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, What God Knows About Future World History. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or download selected resources like the series you're hearing right now, Mysteries of Babylon. The entire audio download of this seven message series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org give online at somethinggoodradio.org mail your gift to PO box 6245 Virginia Beach Virginia 23456 or call our offices at 757-276-1099 and now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message what god knows about future world history
0: uh, the word bloodshed also describes this antichrist he makes war with the saints and, um, and prevails over them for a time, the Scripture says. I think of Revelation chapter 14 and verse 20 that tells us during the battle of Armageddon that the blood will be so great in the valley of Jezreel that it will rise to the height of a horse's bridle. That's a lot of blood and brought on by uh, the Antichrist. He will attack the beliefs and the traditions of the times. It says he will change the times and the law. You know, a lot of our calendar even today is governed by um, religious holidays and religious traditions, Christmas, Easter, Hanukkah, you name it. I mean, they're, we, we still observe that worldwide. Uh, the world and uh, the wheels of commerce come to a stop even on Christmas Day and the world focuses on Bethlehem. I take this to mean that the Antichrist will change all of that. He will cast aside religious traditions and the times and the seasons and the laws, and then finally he is bound because he says it will do it for a time, times and a half time. In Bible prophecy, a time is a year, times plural is two, and a half time is is a half year. Everybody that I read says you know this probably refers to the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Where the the worst of times on earth takes place. The seven years is bad, but from three and a half years on, it's really, really bad. My point is simply this even the Antichrist is on a leash. He has a season. And and you know, if 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 Daniel, if all he had was verses one through eight, and then verses fifteen and following, he might be full of despair. But he sees all of this chaos, this future chaos on earth, but he gets this glimpse of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And so he concludes in verse 26, but the court, the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion, that is the little horn's dominion, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Somebody shout hallelujah. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion shall serve and obey Him. Here is the end of the matter, Daniel says. As for me, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart." Wow. What a scene here. And the saints of the Most High win because the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, uh, return and and defeat defeat, uh, his foes. What do we do with a message like this, and how 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 do we live this out every day? Well, first of all, whatever chaos you're going through, whatever is causing you angst, whatever is causing the color in your face to change, you need a vision of the Ancient of Days. Remember that split screen? I mean, whatever's happening on your earth, and your little corner of the earth right now, just, just get a, lift your eyes up. Remember, most of us are too busy with the worries of today to lift our eyes to see that the fields are white unto harvest and there's work to be done, to lift our eyes high enough to catch a glimpse of the Ancient of Days on His throne in full control, to lift our eyes enough to anticipate the soon return of Jesus Christ. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, lift up your eyes. And remember this, too. If God has a plan for future world history, and obviously he does, then he has a plan for your life and my life as well. He he hasn't left us to just, you know, mosey through this life and be bounced from one worry to the next and without a plan. God has a plan for your life. It has something to do with the cross of Jesus Christ. It has something to do with the fact that He created you in His image to live with Him forever. And it's through the cross of Jesus Christ that we get ready for that, that our sins are forgiven. And that our Savior, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, prepares to come and and take His bride home with Him to heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't read all these prophecies and become worrisome and concerned. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, he says, are many many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Gotta lift up your eyes, though. Gotta lift up. I understand the worries of the day. I understand the challenges that we're all facing. I understand the news that just seems to be so chaotic. But lift up your eyes, friends. Lift up your eyes to see that the fields are white under harvest. Lift up your eyes to see the ancient of days and the Son of Man. Lift up your eyes to see the soon return of Jesus Christ. Because the prophecies of Daniel were given to help prepare us. Prepare us for the soon return of Jesus Christ, and we're closer than we've ever been. All of the signs are pointing to it, and our redemption draws nigh. And we can wait for him, knowing that there's work to be done, a lot of work to be done until he comes, and we will labor and work in faith until he comes. But he could come, and when he comes, he will come in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. It'll be just that fast. And are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that? You may not be able to piece together all of the pieces of future world history. Maybe it's still a garbled mess for you, but what doesn't have to be a mess is your heart. You don't have to have a disturbed heart over it. You don't have to watch the news and go, oh, I can't believe all this is happening. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Lift up your eyes, I'll say it again, and catch a glimpse of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man who is coming for his bride and for his church. And be encouraged by that. And know that right now, in the here and now, God not only has this grand plan of future world history that he has been kind enough to give us a glimpse of and to reveal to us, but he has a plan for your life and your life and your life, and he has a plan for my life. None of this is an accident from heaven's perspective. None of this is chaos and out of control from heaven's perspective. And whatever you're going through, none of it's an accident. God can use even the bad things that you're going through right now and turn them into something good and use them to build Christ-like character in you. So be encouraged, be encouraged child of God and lift up your eyes and see that your redemption draws nigh. That's the message of Daniel. That's what Bible prophecy does for us to prepare us for the soon return of Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good Radio message, What God Knows About Future World History. Ron, anytime we talk about future events here on Something Good Radio, I can't help but get the feeling that many of our listeners are asking themselves the same question. Are we living in the last days? As we wrap up today's program, tell us, if you would, your
0: thoughts on this subject. Brian, there's no question we're living in perilous times, a season in world history in which many of the signs of the end of the age are present. A rapid moral decline, a growing anti Christian sentiment, stories of war and terrorism, economic turmoil, political revolution, even earthquakes, disease, and other natural disasters. These are the things that seem to top the news stories of the day. And they're exactly the sort of things Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. They are signs of the end of the age. But let me say this too, Brian. We are not the first generation to ask this question. We are not the first generation to think that, yes, we may be very well living in the last days and the end of the last days. Nor are we the first to experience a world that seems to be spinning into chaos. Early in the 20th century, we fought two world wars, wars that took the lives of 100 million people. In fact, even in the beginnings of the New Testament church some 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul talked about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So while it's tempting to convince ourselves uh, that we are nearing uh, the last of the last days, and perhaps we are, Brian, perhaps we are, uh, there is something far more important to think about. No matter how many days this world has left, you and I and everyone else on earth only have a set number of days left to live. All of our days are numbered. Jesus may return tonight, or he may return 200 years from now. On the other hand, any single one of us could die tonight. So I encourage people not to get too preoccupied with the timing of Jesus' return, and instead make sure you're ready to meet him however that meeting takes place, whether it happens at the end of all days or simply the end of our days. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the reason it says that is because today is all we're promised.
1: That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message, What God Knows About Future World History. And Ron, we're about out of time, but before we sign off, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Mysteries
0: of Babylon? Brian, I'm sure most people listening to Something Good Radio today already know this, but it's worth saying again. Anti Semitism, that is the hatred of the Hebrew people, specifically Israel, did not start with Adolf Hitler. Clearly, uh, Hitler was the most extreme example, but it was not the first, it was not the origin. Anti-Semitism goes all the way back to ancient times. So as we move ahead to Daniel chapter eight tomorrow, the focus shifts to the nation of Israel, its place in world history, as well as its place in what I call future world history. That's where we're headed next time. And along the way, I'll share some further details about the rise of the Antichrist and his future treatment of Israel. That's Monday
1: when Ron shares his message, The Time of the End from Antiochus to Antichrist. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying happy Father's Day to all you dads out there, and thanks for listening.